Okay, we are in Jude, and hopefully we'll finish this up today. Jude, and we'll start reading at verse 19. Jude, verse 19. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. So he just finished up talking about these, these false teachers. Now he starts speaking to, to the, the, the congregation there and speaking to our hearts of what we should be about, the, the positive things now. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting, Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Okay, so in verse 20 he says, But you, beloved. So he is speaking to the congregation there. He is speaking to his people. And he's speaking to believers. And that he calls them the beloved. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. He says, building yourselves up. You, building yourselves up. He is speaking, and he says, you are to do it yourself. Yourself. You say, well, I, I, I thought I can do nothing. No, by the grace of God, but he is saying, you have a personal, we have a personal responsibility in this. He says that, that building yourselves up, there is something that we have to do. We have to get ourselves up in the morning and go to work. I mean, it's not, it's, and, and we, we participate in this. He's saying the same thing in our spiritual walks. There's a participation that comes from us that we are participating in in this. He says, you are to do this. You are to build yourselves up on your most holy faith. We are to spend time building ourselves up in faith. It's, it's like when you get on an airplane and they say, uh, put your mask on first and then for the children who might be with you. Get your mask on first. You'll have little to help people if you don't build yourselves up in your most holy faith. He says, build your, your, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. There is an intentionality to the walk as a Christian. We intentionally work at this thing. We intentionally try that we get ourselves up in the morning. If you do not have a regular pattern of reading the Scriptures, spending time in the Scriptures every day, I can guarantee you something. And what I can guarantee you is you will always remain weak in faith. You'll always remain weak if you are not daily in the Scriptures. You say, well, I do it four days a week. Listen to what I'm saying. If you are not every day, seven days a week in the Scriptures, you will never be very strong in faith. You won't. Because I've seen it. I've seen it over and over again. A guy just wrote to me, he said, you know, I, I came to the Lord about six or seven years ago. I used to be on fire for the Lord. In the last couple of years, I've become kind of lethargic in my faith. And, and so I wrote back to him and I said, so, so in the last couple of years, how many days a week, how many days in the last two years have you missed spending time in the Word of God? 
How many days in the last two years have you missed spending time in the Word of God? And so you say, well, how can you keep track of that? I can tell you exactly for me how many days I've missed in the last two years. Zero. Zero. I can tell you in the last 45 years. Zero. Zero. You know what the guy wrote back to me? Nothing. He didn't even answer because he knew. He knew. And, and uh, uh, this is what it is. And, and uh, uh, you'll never have real, real, real success as a believer in life, conquering great things as a believer, if you're not in the Word of God every day. He says, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. The best thing you can do is be building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, daily praying. When we come before God and pray, there is a submission, there's a dependence upon the Lord, exactly the way it should be. We should daily be in prayer, daily have a time of prayer. Personally, I like to follow Daniel's pattern. Daniel's pattern, which which is praying three times a day. Praying when I get up in the morning, spending time in prayer, spending time in the Word of God breaking sometime in midday, often going to the chapel and, and uh, getting on my knees in a pattern to pray. You say, well, you know, you're a professor, you have all this time, you can do whatever you want. Since I was an undergrad, I've been doing this. Since I was an undergraduate, I've had the same pattern, spending time midday in prayer. And then, as a, 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 and then in the evening before bed, and in the evening before bed is my worst time because I'm just exhausted, just utterly exhausted. So it's my least effective time, but I will spend a short time in prayer before, before retiring. And so that's the pattern. It's not that you have to follow that pattern. It's a pattern that a very godly man had, Daniel. And, uh, and, and we are to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Orthodox Jews will tell you they pray often three times a day. And I hope they do. The, I have seen them with their prayers. I've been with them in their prayers. Sometimes their prayers are very heartfelt and wonderful. Other times they are reciting liturgy at speed reading speed. And that's their prayer. And this is what he's speaking against. He says, don't do this. You you need to pray in the Holy Spirit. It's to be prayer in the Holy Spirit. So if you're going to use liturgy, uh, I'd encourage you not to use only liturgy. I'd encourage you to learn how to pray. I have been with rabbis. We have been sitting around in, in groups of people and, and uh, orthodox rabbis and we'll say, Rabbi, would you close us after this meeting where we had a group of Christians and a group of, 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 of Jews and, and would you close us in prayer? The man could not do it. The man could not do it because he was so used to just praying liturgical prayers. And so a younger rabbi said, I'll, I'll do it. And he did it and he pr- prayed a nice prayer. But the ability to pray without liturgy that you're reading, the ability to pray, we're praying in the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is guiding us. Again, I'm not coming against liturgy, but if that's all you do, it's, it's a sad state. It's a sad state. What if you had a relationship with your children, and they'd be like, oh, Dad, wait a minute, let me go get something that I can read to you. How about, how about just, just sharing with me? No, no, i I, I got to read something to you. You'd be like... What are you talking about? What are you talking about? There's something that somebody else wrote you're going to read to me and that's how we're going to have a relationship, the two of us? He says, pray in the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on in, in verse 21. Keep yourselves. Again, he's, he's saying you have a role in this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. 
What do you mean keep myself in the love of God? How do I do that? How, how do I keep myself in the love of God? You know, Jesus was asked, Jesus was asked in, in, uh, in, 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 um, Matthew 22, Matthew 22, verse 36, Matthew 22, 36. He was asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now the law, when it speaks of the law, it is speaking of the 613 commandments to Moses. We are not under any of those. None of them are we under. That law has been fulfilled. There are many of them that have translated into the New Testament commandments, and that's why we live by them but we are under none of them because the law has been fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the law. The law is not the entire Old Testament. The law is a portion of the Old Testament. Exodus through Deuteronomy, a lot of the law was given. But still, we, we, we have a pattern in the Old Testament that we follow. But here, he said, okay, here, there's the whole law. What's the greatest commandment? You would think, you would think that Jesus would go to the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments, oh, he didn't. Jesus didn't touch the Ten Commandments when they said, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He didn't go to the Ten Commandments. He went, and, and, uh, 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 he went to Deuteronomy 6 and he went to Levitical, Leviticus 19. And so it, he says in, in Matthew 22, verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. He did not go to the Ten Commandments. He went to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and if you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, it will say you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. But if you look in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, it says with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Mind versus strength. Mind versus strength. Jesus changed it a little bit, and he's allowed to do that because he's God, all right? And so he, it invokes also the mind in this. With everything you have, you are to love God. Everything you have, you are to love God. And it's a strange sort of thing. It's a strange sort of thing because you can command a person to pick up a chair and move. Move it. You can command a person to get on your knees. But how do you command a person to love you? I command you to love me. Well, you're the last person I'd love. I mean, how dare you command? But God does it. God commands us to love him. It's a very strange commandment. Because he knows he gives us all the power we need to love him. He has embedded that within our hearts. So he can command love from us. He commands that we love him. So we cannot say, it's just hard for me to love God. No, God, it's inherent in you. It's inherent just as it is inherent in you to breathe. It is inherent within you to be able to love him. And he commands us to love him. This is the greatest thing he says. And he says the second best commandment, the second most important commandment in the law, again, he doesn't go to the Ten Commandments. He goes to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. Because if you look at the Ten Commandments, it starts with our obligations to God, then it 
it, it, the, the, the last six are obligations to other people. And this embodies them all. You are to love God with everything within you. Everything. And you're to love your neighbors yourself. And remember, one of the, one of the uh, uh, lawyers came to him and wanted to justify himself. So he says, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gave the parable of the Samaritan, of the good Samaritan, where there's a guy on, 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 the, on the side of the road and people would go on the other side of the road. And you think it's like, you know, the 610 highway where you've got 12 lanes between. No, I have gone on that road. It's a, it's, it's a Palestinian area. It's under Palestinian control right now. And I've, I've gone in that area. And there's a, a pathway. It's not the main highway where you go from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a little road on the side of, on the side of a mountain. It's the same road. And we went down it in a car, and we got out, and we walked a little bit, but we went, and only one car can pass. So if there's another car coming up from the other way, you've got to back up to where there's a little inlet one car can get on the side. It's a little road. It is as wide as a car, which is, which is about six feet. So in other words, when you walk, side, when, when somebody would walk on the other side of the road from the, he was only six feet away. And, and uh, this is your neighbor. Jesus said you're to love God with everything you've got and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the most important thing. And here's why he says in Jude, keep yourselves in the love of God. You have responsibility in this because I have given you the ability to love. And you will find many people that you do not love, that God drops them in your life, whether they're your co-worker at work or they're your roommate in college. You say, well, why, why do I have to be around this person? I just... Because I've given you the ability to love them. And you can pray a prayer. My pastor taught me as an undergraduate. Lord, give me your love for this individual. And if you pray that prayer every day, your feeling toward this individual begins to change. Your feeling begins to change because God is able to work in your heart. He commands us. He, he doesn't say, uh, well, if you feel like it, keep yourselves in the love of God. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. This is an imperative, not an indicative. This is a commandment, not a suggestion. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You are commanded to do this. You're commanded to do this. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself, as it says in Leviticus 18. And right after that it says, and I am the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in Leviticus 18 it says, and I am the Lord your God. Remember who is commanding you to do this. I command you to love your neighbor. We are commanded to do this. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then he goes on in, in, in Jude 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep loving God. Keep praising Him. Keep speaking well of Him. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Then he goes on and he says, he says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Uh, um, uh, this whole idea of waiting anxiously for God's mercy, that Jesus, Jesus is going to take us for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. It is Jesus that receives us and brings us in to eternal life. Jesus said, I am coming for you. I am coming for you. Believers, you know, we have this image that angels are going to, you know, take us in the end and transport us into heaven. That's not the scriptural promise. The scriptural promise is Jesus said, I will come for you. I will come for you. He's not troubling the angels to do this. 
Jesus is committed to doing this. When we, our lives are over, immediately Jesus comes and he takes us to glory. That's his promise. And it says, waiting uh, uh, anxiously for the mercy, or waiting intently, or waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. We're waiting anxiously for his mercy to eternal life. His mercy. His mercy does this. The mercy of Jesus Christ is what opens to us this door to eternity. It's all by the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 22. And have mercy on some who are doubting. He says, I've had all this mercy on you. He starts it out with mercy. Same word. Mercy. Same word. He says, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus displays mercy to us and takes us into heaven's glory. Even though we are fraught with weaknesses and sin, which is blood, is going to cover now, he takes us into his glory. It is highly merciful of him. Then he says, now I command you to have mercy. In verse 22, and have mercy on some who are doubting. You are to have mercy on... Why does this person always just... He says, you have mercy on people who are doubting. Have mercy on people who are doubting. Have mercy on them. We are commanded to have mercy, and it's the same word. Just as he has had mercy on us, we are to have mercy on, on others who are doubting. Verse 23, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. He says, save others. He said, I don't save anybody. It's the Holy Spirit who saves. Okay, Mr. Theologian. Okay. We know this fundamentally, but it's scriptural. It says it. Save others. Save others. Be about the business of saving others. Save others. Snatching them out of the fire. They're in a fire. Unbelievers are in a fire. Their feet are dangling over hell. And they're going to go into an eternal fire if they don't get saved. You may say, well, they're, they're really pretty nice. Well, good. That's nice. They can be pretty nice in the fire, too. Because this is the distinction. Because it's not niceness that gets us into heaven. It's the blood of Jesus that opens that door for us. He said, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear. Have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So this idea of mercy. Mercy has been displayed to us. We must have mercy in return. In Matthew 18, verse 32, there is a slave who has been forgiven a huge debt, like a like billion dollars. I mean, it's a huge amount of money. And then another slave that, 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 that owed the, the, this, this other person, like, I don't know, like $50. And the slave that had been forgiven this huge debt didn't forgive the person who owed him $50. So it says in verse 32 of Matthew 18, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he was owed. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Whoa! If that doesn't put the fear of God in you, I don't know what will. My heavenly Father will do the same to you if, you do, if, if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. 
we have absolutely no excuse to not forgive others with the debt that we have been forgiven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will not forgive yours. I mean, this is what it is. This is right after you pray that prayer, uh, uh, you, you know, this Lord, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be it. Who here has not prayed that prayer ever? Well, then you're held accountable because right after you pray that prayer that you forgive others their transgressions, forgive my transgressions as I forgive others, he says, if you don't forgive, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. That's what it says. And, it, and it, it, it's, it's really plain right there. James chapter 2, verse 13 says, For judgment will be merciless to, the, to one who has shown no mercy. Judgment will be merciless to him who has shown no mercy, for mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2.13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is why as believers, if you are a believer in Jesus and you've had your sins forgiven, we absolutely must forgive those who transgress against us. We must, and sometimes it's very difficult. And you say, Lord, give me your forgiveness. Lord, grant me your forgiveness. That doesn't mean they have to become your best friend. It just means that you need to forgive them from your heart. You need to forgive them. So this, this idea that, oh, that was unforgivable. I mean, when I hear that, I'm just, I cringe. How can a person say that when there's so much forgiveness granted by God? And this is what he says. He's, he's, that's why he starts it off. There's this mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that gets you into eternal glory. Now I'm telling you, have mercy on others. Have mercy on others. Snatch them out of fire. Have mercy on others. Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Saying, you've you got to be careful. <clears throat> so, for example, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. So when we go to restore somebody, look to ourselves that we not be tempted. What is, is, is a, a, a commonplace thing? So I'll, I'll give you an example. Some, some young lady is kind of going astray and you feel that you need to, as a, as a, as a, she's a sister in Christ and you want to go and, and uh, uh, encourage her not to go in that direction, you know, start returning into Bible study and things like that. If you are a young man, be extra careful because when you start counseling a young woman, you want to be extra careful. I would suggest you have a woman do it. I would suggest you get one of the sisters in the Lord to go and to counsel that young woman. That you send a woman to deal with a woman. That you don't go to her apartment at night and think that you're just going to counsel her and everything is going to be fine. You know, I, I share with people all the time. And, and, uh, uh, and then I thought, you know, I'll, I'll be, since a lot of my sharing is, is through Zoom, people will contact me based on my offer to share the gospel with them if they don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then I was sharing with this one woman, and she's just in tears and crying, and Shireen is hearing this, so she walks over to the computer, who I'm talking with, and I thought, this is not a good situation, even though I don't even know where in the world she is normally, you know, it's, it's, she, it's all by Zoom. I felt uncomfortable. Here I am counseling this married woman in the sense of, of just, just encouraging her to come to the Lord. And so now I always get... 
uh, a woman, uh, an, an older woman from the church to join me on those Zoom calls. And, and, and thank the Lord, there's this, this, this one uh, um, uh, widow lady who is, is uh, in her 80s who has a lot of free time, so whatever schedule I have, I can say, okay, she'll join us, and she's there on the Zoom call with me. This is, this, this is, so she's, she's with me on this call. And so we're able, able to, to, to share with this woman together. So I have another woman protecting me because I don't know if this woman's going to make some accusations that I've said something to her or something like that. We have to do things to protect ourselves. So he says, be careful. Be careful when you, when you go to, to, to uh, uh, bring somebody out of the, this mess. He says, look to yourselves. And hating even the garment which is polluted by the flesh, which may have some, some reference to, to Old Testament passages. Now let's look at, at verse 24 in Jude, uh, uh, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. Think about this. You have in heaven God, the creator of the universe, the creator of everything. Who can approach him? Nobody can approach him. This is why Jesus comes And Jesus is the prism through which the light of God shines into the world. He is the one through whom all the blessings of God pour out. We can't approach God. He's too grand. So he comes in the form of a man. But it says that Jesus, because of him, he is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. It's because of Jesus that we stand. It is not because of any righteousness of our own. It's because of Jesus. He says that, that, that he is going to present us to the Father. He is going to present us to his Father. This is the presentation he's going to present us to. Who could stand before the Father? By the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus we stand. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. So not only will you be without blame, but you'll stand in the presence of God with great joy. I mean, imagine that God is so great, the creator of the universe. You will stand in his presence with great joy because of Jesus. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I mean, this verse helps me so much because there's been so many failures that I've had in my life, so many things that that I've regretted. And the Lord says, you know, I'm the one who can can keep you from stumbling. You know, in, in, in Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If I love God and I'm called according to his purpose, He's going to cause all things to work together for good. This means so much to me, particularly at this time in my life. And I tell you this because, because you know, I, I was in this debate recently, and I'm ashamed of just the way I lost it, the way I lost my cool. And you can say, oh, well, you know, you did all right based on what he said. It's all, I'm telling you just I'm ashamed at the way I lost my cool. And I, I am still to this day, waking up at night saying, oh no, how could I have done that? And I read a verse like this, and he says, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling, God, you're going to take this, and you're going to work it out for good. You're going to work it out for good. I mean, even, even this morning, I got another email from some guy in the ministry. He says, oh, you know, I watched your debate. Let me tell you all the things you did wrong. 
And, you know, and William Lane Craig just did a two-part thing on all the things you did wrong in your debate. And William Lane Craig is a good friend of mine. I've, I've corresponded with him a lot since the debate. And he said he did this two-part series on, on the things you did wrong, the things you did right, but mostly the things you did wrong in your debate. He said, you really need to listen to that if you haven't listened. And I said, you know, thanks for reminding me of this again. You are the 4,000th person to write to me to remind me of what I've done wrong in the debate. I'm ashamed of myself. I already know. And so he wrote back again, yes, but it's important that you, you get feedback from people like William Lane Craig and John Lennox and Hugh Ross and get their feedback on this. Now, all of those three people are my friend. I, can, uh, I said, I've already had feedback from William Lane Craig, and I'm sure by summer's end, it won't be 4,000 people that have written to me. It will be 10,000 people that would have written to me. But I'd ask you, please don't write to me again. All right? I've heard it all. I've heard it. I have people that have written blow by blow everything in the debate. I mean, line by line. And who won that line? Who won this? Who won this? I mean, blow by blow. From professional debaters, there is nothing that you can tell me about the debate that I haven't already read. I am being just blown away by this. My, it, it's like getting spammed by, by signing up for some listserv and just, just it's, it's filling my inbox. And, and you think you're telling me something that I haven't heard before. And I go back to this. I says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I said, Lord, I had committed that to you. I don't understand all of this. But I know, Lord, I know you're going to work it out for good because I believe the word of God. Jesus said, he who sent me is trustworthy. He who sent me was trustworthy. I didn't walk into that unprepared. I prepared for four months. Four months I prepared for that. I didn't work to walk into that without prayer. I prayed about that for four months. And I had lots of other people praying for me, even in that instance. I don't know how you could have been more prepared and more covered in prayer than I was. I don't know how you could be. And, and, uh, and, and I just don't like the way it went, but he is the one who's going to keep me from stumbling. He's the one that's going to turn this thing around. And then in verse 25, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. To the only God, our Savior. Look at this. God, our Savior. We're used to seeing Jesus, our Savior. Here it says God is our Savior. I mean, it's, it's just, Jesus and God are the same person. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Every good thing that we have in this life comes through Jesus. Through Jesus, forever and ever, we will be praising Jesus and eternity will not be long enough to praise Jesus for what he's done. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So to Jesus is going to be all glory, all majesty, all dominion, all authority before all time, before time, before time even started, before the Big Bang, before, before anything, before time. It was already all his. And now it's all his. And forever, it's all his. It's all because of Jesus. He is the best in every way. 
I'm telling you, if you will lift up Jesus in your life, daily lift him up, it will lift you up. The more you lift up Jesus, the more you'll be lifted up. He is the Son of God. He is the prism through which the light of God shines into the world. Jesus has done absolutely everything, absolutely everything to establish for us a relationship with his Father. He has opened the door. He has washed us by his blood. And he did it at great personal sacrifice to himself. He bore all this sin, all this shame. And you think that, you know, one person says one little thing to us and we get all bent out. Oh, they said to me. I mean, what they did to Jesus and how he hung on the cross, it's all because of him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Your word is true, and we shall forever and ever be be thankful to Jesus. Forever be thankful to Jesus. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be your name. We are forever thankful. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done. Thank you, Lord, that you are able to keep us from stumbling. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you can cause all things to work together for good for those who have called by God, for those who, have, who are called and are walking according to his purpose. Lord, thank you for that truth. Thank you, Lord, that you have displayed mercy to us and then you command us to walk in that mercy toward others. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to something beyond ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that you have commanded us to love God and to love our neighbor. You have commanded that from us. Thank you, Lord, that we are without excuse because you have written that upon our hearts, the ability to love God and to love others. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name forever and ever. Blessed be your name. Lord, I pray for the unbelievers. Lord, save another soul today, I pray. Save another soul. Give us more. Give us more souls to be saved. Father, that you would bring about converts and that you would bring about salvations. Father, bring in more, I pray, for those who hear these words and are unable to walk in it because they have not the Holy Spirit. Father, open up their hearts to be saved, I pray. And Lord, I give that to you. Thank you, my Father. Blessed be your name. Forever and ever we will be thankful to Jesus for all that he has done. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.